What is going on, Military Cash Flow family? Hey, Mike, what's going on with you today? What's up, man? It's a beautiful Saturday morning, a little rainy. But uh, overall, man, things are going well. Uh, for those who are not aware, I've started the uh, MLO journey, which is a mortgage loan originator or a loan officer. And although I can do primary residences in North and South Carolina, what's really important for the military cash flow family is I can do LLC financing across the nation now. So if you guys are looking to do fix and flips, if you guys are looking to do long-term buy and holds, and guess what? If you guys are looking to do long-term buy and hold on Airbnbs, I got you. I got you. So uh, most of it's going to be the commercial residential space. So apartment complexes and single family rentals, one to four, all that good stuff. And then if you guys are looking for things like land, mobile home parks, EPKA, stuff like that, give me a call. We, we'll see what we can work out for you, man. But that's that's one of the biggest news uh, or new things that's been happening over here. What's going on with you, man? Yeah, that's dope, man. Speaking of um, uh, refinancing, dude, I'm using this awesome mortgage loan officer as well with this uh, trying to refinance my four, four unit right now. Guess who that is, guys? I'm using Mike Glassley over here. So um, <laughs> so once it's all wrapped up, wrapped up and done, um, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll probably put out a little small video about what, what I, I've uh, gotten interest rates and things like that, because already just looking at it, it looks like I'm going to save a ton of money, which is which is always awesome. Right. And I got a 30 year fix, which is which is kind of unheard of right now for, uh, for multi, for small multifamilies at least. So, um, really excited about that. But, um, as far as just, um, outside of real estate, just dealing with life, man, we're not really dealing with life, just, you know, um, enjoying life. I, I will say that. So, um, definitely, um, we just switched the kids from like karate to MMA. So now they're like, now they're nice. like doing jujitsu and MMA here in Hinesville. So it's, it's actually pretty dope, man. You can see them, they put on little boxing gloves and they're like, <laughs> no, like <laughs> so it's just, it is really cool. So I'm gonna have a little, a few little brawlers on my hand. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, you got two boys, you're, you know, a dad, I think that's some of every dad's like, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, in that phase, but uh, other than that, man, life's good. I uh, don't have really any, uh, any much complaints. So uh, it's going well. It's going well. Speaking of that, we got uh, Erica Slager uh, as our guest today. Slager. Yes. And Slager. for just a quick tidbit, we, we butchered the name on the intro, uh, on the, the actual intro. So um, you'll probably hear Sledger, but it's Slager. So I, I apologize about that, guys. Um, <laughs> So we got Erica on today and we talk about her, her investing journey. And it's so awesome. She, she started from just one four unit. Now, now she's an active duty, dual military um, and a JAG officer, right? If you guys don't know, my wife's a JAG officer too. So I was super, super excited about it, right? Um, and she learned about some, some investing while she was in law school, ended up buying a four unit. And then fast forward to today, she's close to retirement and she's, uh, she, she built a, a, lar a very large uh, apartment portfolio, like 145 units or something, and then sold those and then went into triple net leases. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to get into that in the actual show itself. Uh, but it's just an awesome journey talking about the time and what she does. So Mike. Yeah, you're exactly right. So many people think that everything happens so fast, but this is a perfect example in the way that she talks about her progression through the years. And the biggest thing that stuck out is one of her her key kind of insights was that there's a huge difference between buying yourself a job and buying an investment. And I think you guys are really going to understand that and appreciate that statement 
by the end of this episode. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glaspie. And this is the Military Cashflow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, military cash flow family? Today, we have Erica Sledger. She's a, She's got a, a, an awesome story, um, and I'm really, really excited to share. I'm really excited to have her on to share that story. Uh, Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I am a JAG in the Air Force. I've been active duty since 2006, and prior to that, I was enlisted aeromed in the Guard. Um I started buying apartments. I guess my first was in a, a fourplex and then I've built up and now I own some commercial real estate. So it's just kind of the story in between those two things, I guess. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, obviously we have a big military following and the reasons why people join the military are so vast in, in their varying uh, causes. What was it about you when you first uh, decided that you wanted to take that military journey? What was that, what was that thought process like? My mom had been in the army guard my whole life. I think she, she retired with 30 plus years. And when I was in high school, I guess it was just kind of the way that people went to college, you know, got some help with the GI bill. And, uh, it just seemed like a really good thing to do as far as that. Um, I like the service aspect. I like being able to test out a career field, you know, to see if it was something I'd like, um, I did join the medical, the Aeromed, um, found out I didn't like medicine. So that's, you know, I didn't waste time going to medical school or anything like that. Um, and once I went uh, into the guard, I spent 11 years in the guard or reserve. And then I decided to go active duty after that. Nice, nice. Now, does that have anything to do with, uh, I know you, you grew up in a small town in North Dakota, right? You said, I think I saw in your bio, you said, I think you graduated with maybe like 10 or 12 people. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Like, did that have anything to do with your, with your decision to go ahead and join the air force at active duty at that? It was, uh, so yes, it was a very small town. I, I grew up in a town of 43 people on a farm, you know, the house, my dad built no neighbors, uh, school bus, you know, an hour each way in the cold. Um, it was, I really, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good background though. You know, it, it gave me a lot of things. I learned to get along with, with people because when you're stuck with the same, not stuck with, when you have the same 11 people, your whole, you know, K through 12, you learn to get along with them, whether, you know, whether they're personalities that you would go for otherwise or not. Um, the military did, it did offer um, some new new experiences. And I really loved um, the times that I got to do more with the guard, like, you know, TDYs or deployment was great. And so the reason though, I went active duty, like truly was I met my husband who he was active duty and I was still on the guard and I was working at a civilian law firm. Um, we met my last semester of law school. And instead of trying to either, he would have to separate and stay where my, where I was licensed or I would have to take a bar exam every you know, time we moved. I decided, why don't I just look into this active duty thing a little bit more? I, I know I already love the military and it just seemed like a really good fit. And it was, it's been really great. 
So that actually brings up a good point. So military JAG, uh, you mentioned if you were to move every time with your husband and you weren't active duty, you would have to retake the bar exam to be licensed in that state. How does that work uh, for the military? We are certified. And so we can practice in any military court um, worldwide. Nationwide, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, that's just a great nugget. I didn't know that. Obviously, Dan's wife is uh, is JAG as well. Um, but, you know, from the outside looking in, I had no idea. So for anybody out there who's looking to pursue a law career, um, the military could be a great way to really cut your teeth, right, and, and get experience across the across the globe. Really, it is great. I I mean, if if you the JAG Corps, I can't talk highly enough about the experiences that you'll get in there. They they'll put you prosecuting, defense, legal assistance. So you get a little bit of wills. You get this broad array of experience. And then if you decide it's not for you after six, eight, ten years, which some people do, um, you know, you have all that experience and you know what you like. So it's really great. Yeah. And my wife, all she does is brag about the JAG Corps. <laughs> so, yep. That's all she does. I mean, I know it's a different, different service, but still, I imagine it's still a very small, tight, tight-knit community. Community uh, can't talk today, but a uh, small, tight-knit community. And uh, you guys are, you guys are really meshed together. Yes, that that is for sure. I've always felt um, supported. Not, it doesn't feel competitive to me. You know, like it, it might be in an outside law firm. I, you know, even though of course you're. Uh, you know, competing for promotion, I've always felt um, very supported. And, you know, I love hearing that because unfortunately, now we're all military here. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we might hear some of the negative, uh, st- uh, you know, stigmas with military saying, hey, it's not a supportive chain of command or it's a really competitive environment. But this is great because now it's, you know, from the horse's mouth, essentially that, hey, there are units out there that are very supportive and that will cultivate, you know, your career. So that's a beautiful thing. And I'm glad that you're sharing that. So what did this journey look like where you're, you're now small town, you do your guard reserve, you're crushing it in your civilian life. You now marry your husband, you're traveling around, you're now crushing it in the Jag Corps. And now you decide, you know what? I want to start investing in real estate. Where did that transition take place? My last semester of law school, I had, or maybe second to last, I t- took a class um, at the undergrad. We could take, I think, two credits in the undergrad school to count towards our graduation. And they talked about having a duplex where you lived in one half and you rented out the other. And it just like was like a light bulb. And I was just like, why hadn't I done this sooner? You know, because now I'm seven years into my education and I've been renting. Um, so I bought a fourplex um, in Minot, North Dakota, which is where I had my civilian law job lined up for post-graduation. Uh, I ended up getting deployed, so I didn't get to move into it right away, but I rented out the four units at first, and then I did move into the one of the four and was practicing law at my civilian law firm, and it paid itself off very quickly. Um, they didn't rent for a ton, but the price of the fourplex, you know, this was 2003, and and so I think I paid $88,000 for this fourplex. Yeah. Yes, I know. Um and then I, uh, I, so that, that paid itself off and I just kind of let it ride for a long time. Um, you know, cause I was like, Hey, this is an extra, you know, I don't know what it was, let's say thousand dollars a month or something. And then uh, in 2005 by now, so we got married in 2004, 2005, uh, I had his W2, you know, so now that you have two incomes and financing's easier, we bought a, an 18 plex in a very small town in North Dakota, about 1500 people. And I think we paid about 215,000 for that one in, and we bought it from a, 
an REIT that was just moving into bigger things. And so, um, yeah, it, and that worked out great too. We paid that one off relatively quickly. And again, we just, it, for years, we just had this extra income, this cash flow, and I didn't think anything about it. You know, in the meantime, I, I had kids, I had a career, we PCS'd a few times. And then in 2014, I believe, um, oil had hit North Dakota, the, the, and so the prices had gone up and I started getting some phone calls um, from people interested in buying it. And so I did sell, um, I sold the fourplex for around, let's see, I mean, don't quote me down to the, the dollar or anything, but around 250,000. And then I used that money along with some savings to buy our first 64 plex um, in Winston-Salem. And then refinanced the uh, the 18 plex the next year and bought some more units in Winston-Salem. And so at a certain point there, from about 2015 until I sold everything a year ago, uh, I had 145 units, I believe. That's crazy. So you gave us the the, the high level uh, summary of everything that happens. I, I want to definitely go unpack some of that because um, a lot happened in that time frame. So much happened in that time frame, and I, I think that's where the there's really some gold uh, gold is there, right? So the very first thing I want I want to talk about is um, I got it. You did the fourplex. You know, you lived in it. You did the burst strategy. That's something that we are the the living not the living flip. Wow, the um, house hack. House hack. Jesus, <laughs> I'm all over the place today. Yeah. So you did the house hack. So that's awesome. Um, but I want to talk, uh, talk a little bit about the transition into marriage, right? Uh, working all this out with a partner and then involving family into it at the same time while, while managing everything else. How did that work for you? So my husband is the world's most understanding um, person. And when, when I want to do something like this, he's, he, he just lets me run and he doesn't, he's never cared about money. Um, you know, if it, he was just like, as long as I can, you know, buy some Levi's a couple times a year, he's, he's good with everything. He wants some tools, work on the car. Um, so I, I did, I took some, I mean, I wouldn't call them insane risks or anything. Cause for those years, we just, uh, had those two buildings for most of it. Um, when I did buy the 64 units, it was a little, it was scary. Um, a, a little bit for me because it seemed like you know, when you add digits to the purchase price, it gets a little scary because now it's not a, a cost of the building that you could just pay off with your salary that year. You know, you can't necessarily cover the mortgage with your paycheck. And so it's, it's a little bit of a leap of faith, but he's, he was very supportive. He just doesn't, um, he doesn't want to be involved too much. He listens to me. He listens to my stress talk and everything, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to make any decisions or, or um, do too much with it. He just listens. The ultimate passive investor. He's yes. like, oh, my wife's doing it all. I'm just going to let her handle that. And we're going to be, you know, passive team yep. here. That's yep. awesome. That is awesome. So yeah. at, at what point did you, did um, you guys start building the family? And then how did you manage that time as well? While like, were we, were you at the 64 units when you, when you already had built, built your family and then you're, you're like, how are you managing that time with yeah. also, um, the, the investments that you had on the side as well. So we bought the 18 flex in 2005 and then our first was born in 2007. Um, and then I had another uh, one in 2009 and then 2012. And then I didn't buy the 64 units until 2014. Um, 
and then we also have a little guy. He was born in 2017. Um, so the, to be honest, that's probably having those, those kids in between, you know, I bought the two in 2003 and 2005, and then I had three kids and that's the years that I was like concentrating on the kids and my career, it, you know, or honestly, when I say concentrating, I'm like talking, just holding it all together, you know, because <laughs> daycare drop-offs and, and my husband, you know, he, he's active duty and he had some pretty demanding jobs in there too. And so it wasn't until my, um, she's currently eight until she was a, a two or three that I bought the 14 or the, the one that I purchased in 2014. Yeah, that, that, that's, I think that's super special because I think that's one of the, the main um, things, our main limiting beliefs that a lot of people have when they're getting into investing, right, um, is, is, all right, I have a family, I have a full-time job, and then try to do investments on the side while managing all of this together um, is extremely hard. And you, you have a professional degree as well where you're a JAG, where you're a JAG officer. So that's, that's adds a little bit more stress to the situation, depending on what your job title is at that time, I, I imagine, or what you're doing at that time. So um, it sounds to me that you, you pretty much between you and your husband have a very, very, uh, you guys are on the same page. And then on top of that, um, I guess, time management, it seems like you kind of chose focus points obviously you're focusing on everything at the same time, but you know, you buy something, the acquisition, you start to stabilize during that stabilization period. It seems like you're, Hey, my main focus at this time, I'm going to really, really hone in on my career and, and kids. Am, am I, am I kind of in the right ballpark there? Yeah. I think you're giving me more credit for having planned it, planning <laughs> all this stuff out. It was a lot of those years are just keeping your head above water. I wish I was like concentrating. Okay. I'm going to focus on this, but it was just like kind of shoving the apartments to the side for a number of years because it was the, the thing that was least likely to fail at that point. Um, I had professional management company that I'd had for years. Uh, and then it was, it was around, um, in 2014, I had a different type of job. And, uh, you know, because for a long time, I'd been in legal offices where you're, I mean, you're busy. And uh, I had a different type of job where I was writing more, um, reading and writing. And so that's when I could take it to step back. And that's also when I started getting phone calls asking me to sell the, the ones in North Dakota. So then I thought, okay, my kids are, you know, they're starting in school and, and then I could step up and do a little bit more on the other, other sort of thing. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. 
So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Yeah, and this is a this is a perfect example of how you do not have to be all in balls to the wall real estate for you know 10 years in order to be successful. Erica was able to slowly accumulate, right? And for some, this is this is rapid. Let's not, let's not, you know, downplay it, but it is a slow accumulation over time with focused energy, stabilizing these assets, and then just taking advantage of opportunities when they arise. Hey, somebody called you to sell. Okay, yeah, we might be able to sell now and maybe 1031 and into a, a larger property. So, so many people is like, oh, we have to do this now. We have to get 100 units in 12 months. Maybe not, guys. Maybe not. Maybe we can slow it down a little bit. Absolutely. It's, I think it's often thought that people have this grand plan, um, but most of us are just living life and you just hope that things turn out. And sometimes not paying attention for a while works out. You know, there might have been. I might, if I would have been paying attention, maybe I would have sold sooner and missed the, the oil boom. A lot of that's luck. And I think people downplay what luck, what role luck plays in this stuff. Most people aren't that much smarter than, than anybody else. It's just a lot of dumb luck. And that, that brings up a good point. You know, every time we look back, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? When we look back retrospectively at $88,000 or roughly something like that for a fourplex, we're like, oh, that's insane but I almost guarantee you that was back in what, 03. So about mm -hmm. 17 years ago or so let's fast forward 20 years from now. When we look back at the prices of property today, we're going to be like, Oh, I should have bought. It's insanely low. Yeah. No dub. Right. It's so it's just about acquiring smart at the time. And if you hold on to it, yeah, it comes out. It, you know, we call it luck, you know, inflation, call it what you want. Right. But it will happen. Absolutely. One other thing that we've, done throughout our careers that is different from what a lot of people do. And it's just a personality based thing is we've always rented as we PCS. Um, and I know that a lot of people buy a house at, at every location. I personally, my, the most stressful thing for me about real estate is the management aspect. Um, trusting a manager, um, tenants, that, that thing stresses me out. That's the thing that makes me not sleep. And so I've eliminated that. We've, um, We've also had to live on base at at least two of our assignments. And so that, that was also another deciding factor. Um, hindsight is 2020. We're going on year eight here in the DC area. And yeah, if we would have bought in 2011, you know, <laughs> that would have yep. been fantastic. But you didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and we've also had the flexibility to move. You know, we've, we've moved for school reasons. We've moved for commute reasons. Um, but that is something I, I don't like to own a single family house because it stresses me out. Yeah, that's uh, something we've always been talking about. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a rental right now. So like where I'm, I'm at a, I am too. I'm in a place. And, and I'm, yeah. A lot of times I tell people that and they're like, well, you must not know anything about real estate because, you know, you're, you're written your own house and da, 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 da. I'm like, no, it's, it's a lot easier. I can have more flexibility. I can move whenever I want to. I don't have to worry about managing anything. And then I don't have to manage, just like you said, I don't have to manage one single family home. Um, yes. and, and if that person leaves, I have to pay them more. There's just so many other advantages now to each his own. But mm -hmm. I love that you hit on um, you you hit on that specific topic because um, you you couldn't 
I'm sure you probably get a lot of flack. I mean, if you've told people that too, like, I know I don't buy my homes when I, when I PCS, I usually just rent them out. I'm sure. Have What has been your experience with that? I don't, we, I don't talk a lot about real estate to people in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but yeah, I think sometimes um, people wonder why we rent. Um, I I love renting though, like especially here in the DC area, we can get more house for like what we want. We can, and we, like I said, we've moved several times just in this area because despite being here for so long, I think we've worked at like eight different places too. Um, but no, I nobody really says too much about um, about us renting. I think mostly because we don't talk about real estate too much. Nobody's that interested in our my friend circle. <laughs> So, so that brings up a good question. I mean, you, you say you don't talk about it much, but it seems like it's a large part of your life, right? Uh, so why is it that you think you don't speak about real estate too much in the real world or the real world? Yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, it, well, I don't have a lot to, I don't, I don't know. It's one of those things, I guess, if, if people assume, you know, we, we, rent, we rent our house and I don't know how you bring anything else up, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants it's, it's a whole different life or like something different to say, Oh, I have a commercial property in Little Rock. You know, I'm that's a real, just, I'm that's a real estate a, mogul. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, every time I think I'm, I'm smart as something brings me back to, to earth real quick. So no, <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, so that, that's a, uh, um, you know, they say a move in silence, right? Uh, the, and that term essentially is just as you're continuously growing and developing and re- regards to that's personal development or your investment portfolio, just maintain, do it in silence, right? You don't always have to boast about it. Now there's, there's many, you know, uh, sides of that coin, if you will, obviously, if you're in front of people and you're passion or whatever may be social media, then maybe you do want to be a little bit loud about it. But in your manner, I think that's a very, uh, it's, it's honorable and it's, and it's awesome to see how humble you are because your story is unique and it is not common, to be quite honest. It's, it's very impressive what you built, but yet you still move in silence and you're still very humble about it. So that goes to show guys, everybody out there who does a flip, you don't have to boast and brag and make other people feel bad about it, right? You can, you can uplift and you can, uh, you can be proud about it in silence. So that's good stuff. So what's next for you? So I see, so, okay, back it up. You had, at one point in time, you had up to about 145 units, I see. And then what happened after that? Did I you sell them all? Or? I sold them all. And okay. um, so I actually, the 18 plex, I didn't sell that one until December. And so just, okay. you know, six months ago, but the, the um, all the ones in Winston-Salem, which I think was around 126 or so units, I sold them in one uh, one sale, they were split into two different LLCs. And so it was two different 1031s. Um, and you have to keep, that was a whole learning experience. I, you know, I had used 1031s before, but I didn't, it, it was kind of a pain dividing out, um, down payments on, on different properties with two different 1031s. Cause you can't mix. Um, so anyway, I bought, f- I have five commercial properties now and the, the whole, point was to have low, um, low stress and uh, very passive. It's been more work than I thought it would be, which kind of surprised me. Um, but live and learn, you know, I, and I'm still enjoying it and it doesn't take up that much time. It's just, uh, it's just more than I thought. I literally just thought it would be like 
what they call mailbox money, where you just get the direct deposit and the mortgages is, is uh, you know, automatically withdrawn, which that part happens, but we've just had some, not bad luck, just weird luck with um, construction on the roads with the county and just things like that, that have caused some extra hassle. So when you say commercial properties, are you, is it still residential as in multifamily or are we talking now like retail office? Yes. So I went into either, so what they call triple net um, or modified triple net, um, double net. One of them, I am responsible for the parking lot, the HVAC and the, the structure, the other, and then the, the tenant handles everything, you know, they reimburse taxes and insurance and and that sort of thing. And then I have some that are like true triple net where I don't even have to pay the taxes and get reimbursed. They pay the taxes, they do all the maintenance. So, and that's, if I had to do it over again, that's what I would buy was be true triple net. Um, there's always catches on things. So you have to decide what's important to you, like no stress, like true mailbox money and then lower returns yeah. or there's always a balance. And so in a different points in your life, you want different things. And so right now, really what I had wanted was like the least amount of stress and hassle. Um, I didn't 100% get that, but I will next time, you know, when I, when these leases start running out and I, I do other things. So. So I definitely want to touch on some of these terms here. Um, and we haven't had anyone on the show talk about triple net leases since I think episode three with Dwayne Clark. Um, and and I, I would love for you to kind of touch on one. We talked about 1031 exchanges, right? Just quick, quick um, overview of what that is, right? And then how we move that into, well, why the switch from commercial residential to commercial, like, I guess, true commercial triple net leases, right? What triple net leases are, and then what that what that, uh, I guess, what are some of the differences between the two? Because um, there's definitely differences in returns and differences in obviously management styles and things like that. So could you, could you touch on some of those, please? Sure. Yeah. So with multifamilies, you, you, you either have to do a lot of work to manage it yourself, if you have any significant amount of them, or you hire a professional manager. And professional managers, you end up really, you need to pay some attention to the professional managers too, just to make sure they're still raising rents in conjunction with the, the going rate um, to see what they're maintaining or not maintaining, uh, those sorts of things. I, I enjoyed that for a long time and then I didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, I decided to get out of that. And so I, so then with triple net, you don't have a manager really. I mean, unless you would want to, but I don't see why you would. Um, so triple net, like a true triple net property will have the tenant, you buy the property and you buy the lease that goes with the property. And so really it might be, a, if it was an empty building, maybe you would buy it for $500,000. If you have a 10-year lease that produces X number of dollars a year, the price of this now will be a million dollars because at least that income stream is worth money. Um, as the lease gets smaller, uh, shorter, it, the value of the property often goes down. It's also the, they're valued with the strength of the tenant. If you have, uh, let's say a mom and pop restaurant, I think they have a higher failure rate than uh, you know a major corporation. And so you pay extra for, all the niceties, you know, a good location and a long lease with a strong tenant. Um, you also get better financing if you have a strong tenant. So you get all those things. Um, and then really, if it's a true triple net, 
they will just, they, the corporation will direct deposit their rent, uh, you know, on the first of the month, and then the bank will withdraw the, the mortgage and then whatever's left over you have. I, the other thing I like about that is, you know, for sure, pretty much what your cash flow is going to be, um, you know, with multifamilies, I'm, I'm always so fascinated to like, listen to other people's stories with multifamilies, because my experience was, it always seemed like something was breaking. You know, it's like, I would think, okay, wow, look, this cash flow we're going to have this month. And then there'd be, I mean, whether it's just a, a bathtub or a, or carpet or a roof or parking lot, it just seemed like there was always something to spend money on. Um, and so the nice thing about the triple net is you can definitely forecast a lot better what, what your cash flow is going to be. Um, with the modified triple nets or the double nets, um, it's a little less certain, but you still have like with the, the one that I have, that's a, a double net, the, the taxes and insurance, I pay up to a certain amount and then anything over that the tenant pays. So I still can forecast out pretty well. Um, the wild card of course would be the, the roof or in the parking lot if they would be terrible. And, you know, everything's expensive on big buildings. You, so. So let's use a CVS, for example, because that's uh, one that I'm very familiar with are, are people talking about often as, you know, I guess most people don't know CVS doesn't really own the land or the lease or anything like that. Usually that is an example of a true triple net lease, like all, all um, mailbox money, as you, right. as you noted it. Right. So can you can you kind of give that for our listeners? Because I'm sure this this might be a new concept. Right. So uh, can you give a triple or can you give a CVS as an example of what that would look like you being the buyer and you you um, buying that CVS and kind of what some of those I guess similar returns would would be versus a an apartment complex. Yeah, so CVS is very and Walgreens considered very very strong tenants, like probably the top. Um, so the thing about those and the reason why, like I wasn't particularly interested, is because they are so safe and so long term. The returns are really low. Like right now, cap rates are compressed with everything, but. They are, I haven't looked on the, like just recently, recently, but I would say you're in the three and a half to four type cap rate, which, and then also on these triple nets, you need to look at when your rent increases are, um, each of those big corporations like that, their leases are going to be the same. And so you can see how often they increase their, their, um, their rent, but it's probably not for a long time. And so that eats away too at your returns if you can't, if the rent doesn't increase for, for a long time. Um, there's that happy medium, in my opinion, of a, you know, a rent bump that maybe you can get a, a corporation that's maybe not quite as strong of a tenant as a CVS, but not a mom and pop restaurant either. There's your in-betweens. Um, they'll have a what would an example of that be just just curious. Yeah. So my right now, the favorite of the five that I have is um, I have two that I'm, I'm a big fan of in particular. One is a daycare and that was a 12 year lease. It's a national daycare with, you know, thousands of, of daycares that you, you'd, I mean, if you have kids, you'd recognize the names. Um, they, it's a, like, I think I said 12 year lease, they, they handle everything. And so it's just been extremely hands-off. And I believe I bought that at, it was over a seven cap. And then the, um, they have rental increases. I bought it I think uh, a year or two years before the next rental increase goes up because it was a 15 or 20 year lease originally. And then I also have a, a quick lube and that's, it's a franchise 
um, which normally aren't as considered as strong as a corporate guarantee, but the franchise, and it's a 15 year lease and they've been, you know, just fantastic to work with. I pay the taxes insurance, they reimburse. Um, and otherwise it's just been really easy. And so I'm, I'm also a fan of, I don't like, I, and this is just stuff you find out about yourself as you do your real estate stuff. Some people I'm sure love this. I hate arranging maintenance stuff, parking lot, paving, resealing. So if in the future, I'm going to try and buy things that are on the newer side, so I don't have to deal with contractors. Um, it's just something I just don't, it's not my, my favorite. I got <laughs> Part of the learning process. Yeah. Cause I mean, just like you said, you start off with multifamily because most people are taught this is, this is how you get in and our single family even, right. This is right. how you get started in real estate. This is what it's supposed to be like. And you do that to accumulate wealth, but more importantly, you accumulate knowledge. You get that experience and you say, hey, maybe I actually don't like this. And then you open up and you see, okay, well, now there's a whole lot more real estate out there between commercial triple net to land flipping to you name it. It's all out there. And I just want to highlight the fact between um, a lot of people who are looking to start their entrepreneurial journey consider franchises. And you brought up a really good point that you are a landlord with triple net, double net leases of some franchises. So there's other ways to be a part of those franchises without actually being the franchise operator, right? So I just want to highlight that for the, for the audience out there because I've looked into franchises too and I'm kind of like yourself. I love the idea of certain franchises, but I don't want to operate. Right. I don't want to be right. picking up those calls and dealing yes. with the complaints. That's good stuff. Yep. Yep. I agree. It's, it's, there's a big difference between buying yourself a job and buying yourself an investment. Yes. Yes. Perfectly stated. So, so I love everything about you, what you've, uh, what you've done here. You know, you've, you've, you have a great family. And then on, on top of that, you're managing investments. You, you sold off uh, a, a large portfolio, went into triple net leases to, uh, I assume outside of just the management aspect, it just frees up a lot of your time, right? So that you can then devote to what you want to, right? Um, I want to go into some of the lessons you've learned, right? Some of the some of the major ones, because you've done several deals now. Uh, let's go over some of the the major, let's, I guess, top three lessons that you've learned um, and that, that you could... Um, if you could do over again that you'd be, you would do different? Uh, one is when you're starting, don't be scared of some risk. Like maybe it's a small market, a small town. Um, you know, it's, you're not going to maybe compete in some of the big markets with, where everybody is. I got my start in very small towns. And so, and, and there's money to be made in those. Um, other lessons I've, I've had failures. Um, of course, nobody likes to talk about that. And that is something <laughs> when you hear all these people that just talk about all their home runs, they are not telling the whole story. I don't, I don't believe it for a second that somebody out there just had win after win after win. Please tell us, enlighten us, enlighten <laughs> us in, in some of the, some of the sucky points, please. Oh, there's, well, I've had a few, um, the biggest one was probably that a management company that I tried to start after that. Uh, we bought the 64 units and there was another uh, apartment complex owner that bought, uh, he bought 32 units in the same park or area, I guess, complex. And, and he, he suggested we open a management company together. And he said, well, we're both hiring the same management company right now and we're paying them, I don't know, four or 5% plus all the expenses, you know, because when you have these big apartment complexes, you pay a 
you pay a smaller percentage than you do if, with a single family home, but you pay for like, I was paying for the, the, you know, everything, the computers, the, the programs, all this stuff. So he was like, why don't we just hire a, a, a manager and we hire a person to sit at the front desk. And then we hire a couple of maintenance people and we're still going to be less than our, you know, four or 5% plus all these expenses. And yes, it sounded good, stupid, because I was PCSing to Germany in like three months. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know what I was thinking. So yeah, I, I took some leave, went down to Winston-Salem, you know, went to to Best Buy, we bought a computer, we set all this stuff up, went to see a lawyer that, you know, that practiced in that area and you got an LLC and, and set everything up. Oh my goodness. It was a disaster, a disaster. Um, the manager, she was the type that she was a great employee for probably a, a different sort of manager, but yeah. she wasn't the type that could manage um, other employees. And it was just it train wrecked. Um, I got a call. I was actually in LED with Qatar and I got a, a voicemail or an email or something saying the manager quit. <laughs> and I'm mm. like, Oh, this is great. Wow. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, we hired, um, you know, I hired a different management company, a professional management company wrap that the business ends up with that. And I figure it was probably between lost rent because she didn't, you know, everything wasn't rented properly. And um, just, there was a lot of wasted money. Um, I don't know. It was probably close to six figures. That how, long, how long did it last though? How long did you, did you six keep... months? Okay. All right. Yeah, so that's not that's, too, too bad. So close no. to the close to six figures in six months is pretty yeah. significant yeah. though. That is bad. You're right. But it, you I, know, that's lost, lost, uh, you know, lost income and stuff from, from yeah. empty units. But it was, yeah, my, my one saving grace was I pulled the plug quick on that. But, you yeah. know, all that stuff we bought, I don't know where it is. It just disappeared, you know, thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Tina's okay. got a new MacBook. They're like, oh, yeah. this new MacBook. So this brings up a, a, an excellent point. That is a significant lesson learned because, like you mentioned, almost six figures in six months. That's not chump change, no. especially in the journey, right? Uh, the beginning stages of a journey. But there's so many times, and I've, I'm guilty of this too, where I look at uh, you know, a, a service that's being provided. And I'm like, man, I can vertically integrate that. Why wouldn't I? I'd save so much money. And then I realize, just like you said, how much work it is. Oh, I don't have the systems in place. I don't have the experience. I don't have somebody to take the calls. I hired the wrong person who's really an employee. They're not a leader. And before you know it, it's cost you more time, money, and anything else along the way. So blessing for everybody listening, pay for quality service. Yes. Just pay it. It's going to be worth it, guys. I promise. I went through the same exact thing. I've tried to manage my first four unit and uh, I got property management system set up. The tenants could log into their portal and do all this cool stuff. I vetted the tenants. I thought I vetted the tenants, right? I thought I did a good job and um, had to... I ended up failing. Tenants weren't paying rent. And then I had to get a new property manager in, and we evicted three tenants, the ones that I <laughs> that I put in. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> Done the same thing. Yeah. And I, especially when I first started, I was managing, I think, 16 units because my parents, I convinced my parents to buy eight units that I couldn't afford at the time. And so I had my fourplex, my parents, and I convinced my in-laws to get a fourplex too. So I had these 16 units in Minot, North Dakota that I was managing. And I was too soft-hearted and that's, it's hard when the tenants know you're the owner or have any authority. Oh boy. Yeah. 
I've but also painful to hear the the, the, the sob stories. And I, I kind of got a bleeding heart too. I'm the same exact way. They're like, you know, I can't pay rent. I just lost my job and I da 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 and da 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 da. Meanwhile, you know, I, I'm not there. I'm out of state. And I hear one of my other tenants are like, oh no, he's still working, da, 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 you know, and all these things. I'm like, well, I fell for it, you know. So gotta yeah, keep know. those professionals in place. <laughs> gotta, no. As long as you know, like if you can, if you can be have the situational awareness <laughs> to say, hey, I have a bleeding heart, maybe I'm not the best. Put the third party manager in there, then now you can be a, a rude landlord all you want because it's not the one pulling the trigger, right? Right, so. right. And you know how you said pay for help? That's something that now I've I'm doing. Um, I had I've recently especially started like uh getting legal advice. I've sought out a couple different um attorneys in different areas like business structure and accounting, because that as you get bigger, that becomes more important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd love that. Uh, so for the audience that, that that follows us, we know that I love business and the the I forgot who said it, but they said the more that you invest it, you're stepping out of being an operator to a true business owner, because you have to actually look at it from business financials, profit and loss statements, you know, what's your projected growth, your profit margins, and the conversation literally can be translated into the business world you know, hand for hand. So you're right. Now you, you're an attorney yourself and you're seeking out this legal advice. Does the JAG have anything, uh, any departments when it comes to business structuring and tax advice or anything like that? Okay. Not, not for this sort of thing. If you are just getting, they, they used to, at least they had something about the volunteer income tax assistance. I believe it stood for what, but that's just your 1040 or your 1040 yeah, personal. Yeah. yeah. But no, okay. nothing like this. Um, I honestly don't, we do wills um, in the legal office. Now at this point, I recently hired an estate planning attorney to, to do the, the living trust and whatnot, just because it's not that, it's not that JAGs are incompetent for your basic, um, you know, wills and stuff. But if you have any sort of more advanced planning, I, I think it's worth the money. Yeah. Is there any, because I just went through it in state planning. I had my military will and I went and did it recently. So I agree with you. There's a, there's a different level of, of uh, intricacies, if you will, right? For somebody who specializes that in the outside world. Now, this is just out of curiosity. Is there any type of like a uh, community or hotline where you can call and be like, hey, I'm actually an attorney. I need to talk to another attorney for tax advice. I wish there was because I spent okay. a lot of money on yeah. attorneys. <laughs> No, okay. there's uh, there's not that um, that I found it. But if anybody knows about it, let me know because I'd love to save the money. <laughs> right. Or if anybody wants to create it, business idea. Doop, doop. <laughs> Yeah, so, so let's go into some of the some of the other uh, just two more two more other lessons learned. We talked about hey, we need to hire good help. You know, basically from that from that uh, the failed property management experience. Uh, what's what's another one? Uh, if you're not enjoying it, pull the plug. There's there's so many ways to make money in real estate. If it's, if what everybody is doing isn't your thing, there's no shame in that. Um, if, if you've tried multifamilies or you've tried, you know, house hacking or house flipping or whatever it is, just find your niche. And even if your returns aren't as much as what you read online, a, those returns online are probably aren't all true anyway, but you, you got to do something you enjoy or you'll just quit. And so, and really it's, it really is about the ride. There's no reward at the end. Um, you know, yeah, you'll have money, but if you don't enjoy, enjoy it, it's just not worth it. I love that one too, yeah. man. If you're not enjoying a pull the plug and there's so many people that feel like once they start a journey, they have to complete it. 
That's not the case. Just mm-hmm. because you started something thinking real estate was your path, it may not be. You may love day trading. You may love uh, car maintenance and you want to start a business. There is never an absolute solution to anything. There's multiple options. And I love that. It's about the journey, not the, because there's so many people that say, and, and I, I was the same way. And I'm pretty sure most of us were here. Oh, if only I got to X amount of doors. Oh, when I get to X amount of doors, everything will be better. Ain't nothing better when you get. <laughs> no, there's not. If you're not enjoying it, it's it, yeah. It, there's nothing magic about a certain number of doors other than maybe people like the bragging rights, but <laughs> be like everybody else. Just go lie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so now the, the transition over into, into triple net lease, do you see that's where you're going to stay at that? that um type of invest and investing for right now um i i do like it a lot kind of the predictability especially the lack of um real effort that it takes because it's really maybe five hours a month and i think that's probably more than it 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 will be once some of this construction stuff is over um We'll see though, you know, I, sometimes I, sometimes I dream about getting out of real estate completely and just not having that, um, being tied down to that. But then I think I'd get bored, you know, I'm retiring, you know, in a, in a few years here and I don't know, I think everybody has to have something they like and I do enjoy it. I agree. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, financial freedom is always the first step. And then once you accomplish that, now that you have the freedom, you start to want to explore just naturally, right? That's just the human instinct. And so now that you've experienced this real estate journey for quite some time, almost 20 years now, now the question is what's next? You know, what else is out there? Right. So on that, on that note then, so what is next? If in, in an ideal world, let's say real estate still on the, still on the table, you're still making money there. What's like a, a dream passion of yours that you would love to pursue? I, I want to travel. You know how it is in the military. If you, you, you get to go a lot of great places or interesting places at least, but you don't have the free time to really tour, you know, you're working at least with us. Usually it's a court martial or, or something like that. Um, I really want to go and spend time long-term in places exploring. I loved living in Germany, but again, you know, in order to travel, it was either for work or leave, which you only have a limited amount. Plus I had a lot of, you know, little kids. Um, so I want to do that. I also, um, I'm not, I think it, we, I think at some point we'll buy a single family house and I really, I love gardening. And so I may, another passion of mine would be to just have a really beautiful backyard. So <laughs> I'm a very exciting person, clearly. <laughs> no, but see, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody but- has their passions. And that's the, the freedom that financial freedom provides, right? Like for you to be as, as you said, you know, travel as much as you want to, or do whatever you find, you find interesting. And I think that's one of the main, uh, I guess, tenets that we we try to preach on this, on this podcast is finding that financial freedom through whatever means We, we just typically talk about real estate on here. Right. But finding that financial means through whatever, um, affords you the opportunity to then go and pursue what your true passion is, or even explore other um, other ventures, right? So I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It's really doing that, and and then being able to partake in that with your with your family and your loved ones. Do what you want, when you want, with who you want, right? So yes, that's what it's all about. Yeah, 
Yep. I'm really excited for it, you know, because, you know, for years and years, you do what you're told to do and live where mm-hmm. you're li- told to live, work where you're told to work. And I'm just really excited um, to see, see where it goes without being told where to live. Uh, you have the power. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and, and again, for everybody who's listening, this took time and work and energy and failures and successes and wins and losses. So for everybody who's out there being impatient about it, calm down. It will come. It will come. So with that being said, though, we've, we've covered a lot of great nuggets here. But if you had to ball it all up into one thing, what's one piece of advice that you could give to anybody, not only service members, starting their real estate journey? Be patient. That really time will gloss over any mistakes you make. Don't beat yourself up over the, oh, I could have gotten it for $10,000 less or, you know, oh, I didn't know that it would need a, you know, new windows when I bought it. Don't beat yourself up over that because seriously, 10 years covers up all that stuff. It just, it all evens out. And the, the simple fact, just getting into it, it's, once you get into it, you've made 90% of the, the effort is right there. So it'll work. Nice. And how, how can our listeners get in contact with you? I'm on LinkedIn. I, I think I, I sent my LinkedIn um, link to you guys. Um, and I'm also on Facebook, uh, although it's not very interesting. My LinkedIn is probably a little bit more interesting. So, Excellent. Excellent. So um, we will have all your information down in the show notes. So if you want to get in contact with Erica, please um, shoot her a message on LinkedIn or shoot her a message on Facebook, and I'm sure she'll re- respond. Um, got to join the group if you haven't joined the group yet. I'm not sure if you have or not, but uh, you can ask the questions there and I'm sure Erica will will, um, will answer for you. So um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your story with us. You dropped so many, so many valuable nuggets. I really, really appreciate that. Um, do you have anything, any, any last statements? Uh, no, I really appreciate you. Appreciate you letting me be on here today. Um, I have a soft spot for military people that are doing this because you know we all have unique challenges that that the civilian world doesn't always have the same challenges that we have um so yeah i'm always happy to help excellent again thank you so much mike you got anything no no thank you for coming on and you're exactly right uh you know our our heart bleeds right for our servicemen and women um and i think this is a shining example of what just patience right like you mentioned be patient but having focus and being flexible and being patient with yourself comes out to many times our servicemen and women, we hold ourselves to this ridiculously unrealistic standard of what success looks like. And it causes issues with us mentally, physically and everything else. So thank you so much for sharing your message. And hopefully many people heard it and are going to start taking action after this. Awesome. That'd be great. Thank you both. I appreciate it. All right. And with that said, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassman signing off.